Hello, buongiorno. My name is Mario Costabile, and I'm your host here for A Reason for Hope. It's great to be back with you. And this is a podcast here from Array of Hope where we really try to go a little bit deeper in our Catholic faith, in the teachings of the church, and for us to better understand who we are as Catholics. So, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where someone challenges you about your beliefs in the Catholic Church, the teachings of the Catholic Church. For example, why do we pray to the saints or Mary? Where does it say that in the Bible? Or why can't women be priests? I get that all the time. Where does it say that in the Bible? Or why do we have to go to church? And why is it a sin if we don't go? Another common thing is that I don't believe in religion. It's a scam. And where does it say that in the Bible? These are all questions that can fluster us if we get them. As a matter of fact, most Catholics are intimidated by this barrage of questions. But there are ways that we can defend our faith. As a matter of fact, there are techniques on how to do this. This is called apologetics, which is what this episode is about. Defending the faith. Our guest today is Patrick Madrid, and he is one of the best in this field. And we're gonna learn a lot about this today. So sit back and relax, except if you're driving. Then just listen and pay attention to your driving as well. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. Ave Maria Mutual Funds, seeking the moral high ground for 20 years. Pro-life, pro-family, and Catholic values have guided us to the top. Mr. David. Hey, hey. How are you? Good. We're thanks. back. Everything cool? Yep. Very cool, actually. It's thanks. great to be here with you in the studio and chatting about the faith. I always learn from our experiences here. How are things going? They're going really well. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, doing great. I mean, we're, we're, we're going 100 miles an hour here at Array of Hope. I mean, there's so many things that we're, so many balls in the air, so many projects and initiatives. And uh, we just launched our first Behold event, which is so exciting. It's the event that uh, is, is, is working in tandem with the Eucharistic Revival with the mm -hmm. bishops and Bishop Cousins. So uh, it's an emphasis on the importance of the Eucharist. So we're really excited about that. Uh, we have a whole new series coming out with Father Michael Jolie. Uh, and it's about the spiritual vitamins, which mm. we all need our human vitamins, but these are spiritual vitamins. It's really great. We got a whole new show called Vive with Kiki, uh, and it's really uh, a really cool show for young adults, and she's Hispanic, so we're trying to uh, really reach that demographic. Uh, and of course, we've got another another six episodes of Faith and Focus, mm. which is really very cool. The so guy who does that's a dope, though. And no, he's not. He's a good guy. <laughs> oh, it's you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you. <laughs> uh, how can I speak badly of you while you're right in front of me? Can't <laughs> yeah, do that. you got to wait till I'm not yeah. here. <laughs> but, you know, all our programs, you know, although we're trying to entertain and trying to engage, uh, they're all designed to catechize, to get people to understand their faith better, to get them, everyone to understand what it means to be Catholic. So mm. really pumped out about, you know, pumped up about that stuff. That's great. And I think uh, it's been fantastic as the director of theology to review them and, and to see the ideas and the production team bringing those things to life. I mean, what a, what a bunch of talented people we've got on the team. It's just pretty incredible. Absolutely. And, and you know, today, one of our guests is Patrick Madrid, and he's probably one of the best well-known apologists in, in, Catholic, in the Catholic Church. Mm. Uh, and I mean, this guy's been defending the faith for a really long time. You know, when I had my reversion, uh, he was my go-to source. I mean, he was just great to learn from. Uh, he really spoke the truth in a way that was relatable and understandable. Um, and you don't really hear that much about, you know, teaching through apologetics these days. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few reasons for that. Um, and I think it, it mostly results from a misunderstanding after the Second Vatican Council, there was a big emphasis on, on dialogue with mm. people of other faiths, 
um, you probably are aware that prior to the Second Vatican Council, there was a lot of animosity between Catholics and other uh, Christians, um, a lot of tension there. Not that there isn't in certain places in the world still, there, mm. there is, uh, but we've come a long way, like mm. in the last uh, 60 years. And I think what they wanted to do was encourage a new way of approaching one another. So they really emphasized this idea of dialogue, and not only dialogue with other Christians, but dialogue with other religions and dialogue with the world at large. And I think one of the things that that became the case is that there there is a false opposition that was created between dialogue and apologetics. I mean, dialogue comes from a word that apologetics is rooted in, and that's that Greek word logos. So, apologetics actually comes from two Greek words, apo, which means from, and logos, which means word or reason. So, the root word of logic is the same word, logos. So, an apology is a reasoned defense. So, Catholic apologetics, therefore, is giving a reasoned defense of the Catholic faith. Well, you can't enter into dialogue, also from the word logos, without speaking logically about why we believe what we believe. The scriptures, in fact, exhort us to do this. So, I think that this is a confusion, as if somehow entering into dialogue with people is in opposition to presenting a reasoned defense of why you believe what you believe. And I don't think it is at all. In fact, I don't know how you have a conversation without that. Presumably, the other person in the conversation would be doing the same thing, right? Now, I mentioned the scriptures sort of exhort us to do this. In uh, the first letter of St. Peter, Peter writes, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Mm. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence and keep your conscience clear so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. I love that. Well, it's Great. kind of where we get the uh, the title of our podcast. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And then St. Paul in his second letter to St. Timothy writes this, preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. Well, you cannot convince without making a case, right? So I would say that all the words actually in that verse are pretty strong and forceful. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Mm-hmm. So, according to that verse, the reason we should do these things is because, quote, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings. That's the rest of the verse. I don't know about you, but I think that <laughs> sounds like right now, you know, like it sounds like yeah, today. Yeah. So, it seems like we're living in those times. So, yeah. it seems to me that St. Paul would say, you know, preach the word, be urgent, mm-hmm. in and out of season. Yeah, yeah. Convince, well, exhort. If, if we're all supposed to be ready to defend the faith, uh, what are the main attributes that we should embody then? Well, I can name a few. Mm-hmm. First, apologetics is rooted in the truth. Mm-hmm. So you need to know the faith. You need to know how that comes to us through sacred scripture and sacred tradition, as well as the teaching of the magisterium. So, you could read the Bible, of course, or the Catechism, and these are great things we should do. But there's also plenty of great resources out there. And I think mm-hmm. that our guest, Patrick Madrid, his books, for example, you yeah. mentioned, are, are wonderful in this regard. I actually uh, recommend, highly recommend, a resource that, to my mind, every Catholic should own, and that's by Dr. Ludwig Ott, and it's called Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. It not only systematically lays out the church's teachings and their doctrinal notes, but it also offers the scripture for the teaching 
and the teaching of the fathers for the teaching, and the teachings of the councils and the popes for that teaching. So you kind of get everything you need right that's great. there. That's yeah, great. that's a really great resource for people who are looking to, you know, embolden their knowledge of the faith. Mm-hmm. So that's first. Apologetics is rooted in the truth. Apologetics also, though, has to be personal. St. Peter talks about giving the reason for the hope that's in us. So why have I come to believe this as the truth, you know? So you should know what convinces you, because I also think that's the thing you're going to share most passionately. This is why I came to believe. Mm -hmm. So try to uh, make it personal. And then I would say also it has to be logical. You actually need to form good arguments. You have to be reasoning Mm-hmm. through these things. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be argumentative. You can make arguments without being argumentative. But probably you're going to be well-served if you have a little bit of philosophy behind you, mm-hmm. if you actually look at some of the philosophical bases of what it is that we teach mm-hmm. in the church. And there's actually a book. It's out of print now, but I highly recommend it. It's a gem if you can find it. It's called Love of Wisdom, an Introduction to Christian Philosophy. And it's by Monsignor Eugene Cavan and Rhonda Shervin. So like I said, it's out of print, but if you can find it on eBay, mm-hmm. gobble it up because it'll give you a really good overview of, of philosophy, especially as it relates to Christian faith. So then four, I would say the apologist responds to a question or a situation. In other words, you don't need to seek every possible opportunity to preach or to teach or to you don't have to turn every conversation into something like that. You don't have to right. you know, steer every conversation in that direction. And in fact, I think that's going to make you a little bit irksome to people <laughs> if you do that. You know, So don't defend what doesn't require defending and don't answer a question no one's asking. That's probably a pretty good rule. But if something comes up and you see an opportunity, I would say go for it. Mm-hmm. Another thing we can pull from the scriptures that I read before is that the apologist should be meek. And now meekness is often defined as gentleness, but this does not mean soft-spoken or passive. It means maintaining your composure and self-control in the face of an attack. In other words, when the conversation gets heated, we don't. We make an argument, we're not argumentative. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. important. And that's hard because sometimes, you know, passions get moving and and we take it personally. And we take so things we, personally. Yeah. And when you take things personally, we engage. We engage anger. in a in a way that's not meek. So <laughs> again, meek doesn't mean we have to be talking like this, but it does mean that we don't allow ourselves to fall into that temptation of reacting, that we stay in control. Mind you, tough for an Italian. To be meek. Yeah. Oh, just because (laughs) once the hands get going, well, that's it. Very excitable. Forget it. Everybody thinks that I'm yelling at them just because I'm moving my hands around. That's right. Right, right. (laughs) And I'm also, I get excited. Excited. So sometimes I think for me, I have to be careful because I get so excited that it can seem like coming on too strong. That's a hard one It's a discipline. That's a hard one. Mm -hmm. I also think though that the apologist should be bold. Don't be afraid to correct false ways of thinking or wrong assumptions or bad facts. Obviously, you have to do this in a way that keeps the other person's dignity intact. You know, you should avoid uh, throwing insults at them and that sort of thing. But I think the way you can do that is trying as best you can to help the other person understand that you're not attacking them. You're questioning their ideas or their facts. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I have to be honest, it's hard. Um, Younger people today have a hard time distinguishing their opinions from themselves or their thoughts from their identity. And so if if you say something about what they're thinking, that gets taken almost immediately as a personal attack. I remember growing up, we used to go and get into it, you know, and when we used to go hang out at the bar and have a few beers and get into some intense conversation and we left and everybody was still everybody's best buddy, we didn't take it personally. Right. Um, but that's not as much the case. So I think you have to use extra caution, especially when you're talking to young adults and the like, to make sure that they know that you're not 
at all attacking them. But that doesn't mean that you should just let slide things that are just wrong um, or false ways of thinking. And then lastly, I'd say that the apologists should show reverence and holy fear. I mean, God is your judge. You will have to render an account to God. And on the one hand, this means that you should remember you need to honor him by defending the truth, by acknowledging Jesus among men. But I also think it means that you have to remember to be humble, that you're being obedient to him in doing this, and you're not doing it out of vanity or pride. In other words, it's not about winning the argument. It's about winning a soul. Mm. And if you don't keep that in mind, I think you can go off track. Yeah. So those are just some thoughts. It's very good, Dave, um, because Catholics are under, under catechized. They easily succumb to just false beliefs of what Catholic, it means to be Catholic. So I think it's really a, an opportune moment uh, when we engage in apologetics with our fellow Catholics just to make them aware of what their misconceptions about the truth is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one way that I, I learned, and we talk about it with uh, Patrick Madrid, is the Socratic method. You know, uh, just by asking questions, find out why they think the way they do and how did they come to these conclusions is a great way that puts people off from the defensive and engages in a conversation. Any thoughts about that? I think it's a great idea. I'm terrible at it, to be perfectly (laughs) honest. My wife always says, why don't you just ask some questions? And I'm like, because I just am bad at that. So, uh, but I agree that it's a great method. Like you're saying, it puts people, I think, a little bit more at ease I think one of the things that it does as well is that then people aren't being told. Right. They're coming to it just by you asking the questions. So it's almost like they have discovered it for themselves that this doesn't make sense, as opposed to you telling them that doesn't make sense. And that can go a long way. Well, great conversation, Dave. A point uh, of our session here is really to know your faith so you can defend it. Yes, amen. Amen. And it's great, the stuff we're producing to help people with that. Amen. Hey, everybody. This is Who's That Saint with me, Alanis, where I test your saint knowledge by giving you three clues from a saint's life for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Starting off with clue number one, the saint was born into a large family of 13 kids where he landed as the last of all of them, making him number 13, the baby in the family. As the young child stereotypes go, this saint struggled with the temptation to pride, which manifested itself into vanity and misuse of power and money. So the saint had a pretty rough past. Do you know who the saint is? Clue number two. At a young age, he developed a strong interest in the military and joined at the age of 17. Soon thereafter, he was severely injured in battle when a cannonball shattered his right leg, and this was the moment that would transform his spiritual life forever. Who's that saint? Finally, clue number three. In his downtime, he picked up books about the faith that shifted his desires from battle, fame, and power to prayer, meditation, and penance. We love a good conversion story. So who's that saint? If you guessed Saint Ignatius of Loyola, then you are correct. Saint Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish priest and theologian who founded the Jesuit order in 1534. Because of its mission that focused on education and charitable works, the Jesuit order was a leading force in the modernizing of the Roman Catholic Church and one of the most influential figures in the Counter-Reformation. St. Ignatius of Loyola is the patron saint of the Society of Jesus and of spiritual retreats. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. Hey, we love that you listen to our Reason for Hope, and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. Hey, everyone. This is Jack Arno, Array of Hope's Director of Audio and Music Production, back for another Music Corner. AOH Music is super excited to be gearing up for the release of our new single, Abba Father, recorded live at Oceanway Studios in Nashville. Check out the Spotify and Apple Music pre-save link in the show notes. The song is all about trust in the Lord. In particular, 
acting out this trust we have in our Father in heaven through obedience. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16 help to sum up our inspiration for the song. Those who follow the leading of God's Spirit are all God's sons. The Spirit you have now received is not, as of old, a spirit of slavery to govern you by fear. It is the Spirit of adoption which makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself thus assures our spirit that we are children of God. We are grateful for our sponsor today, which is Ave Maria Mutual Funds. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are seriously different. As a leader in morality, responsible investing, their mutual funds have four moral screens set by a dedicated Catholic advisory board. The funds also have experienced professional investment managers with contrarian thinking. This helps assure that the investments match your moral beliefs. Call Ave Maria Mutual Funds today. Call toll-free 1-866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaMutualFunds.com. Again, call 1-866-AVE-MARIA. Patrick Madrid is an American Catholic author and a radio host. His many books include Why Be Catholic, Life Lessons, 50 Things I Learned in the First 50 Years, and How to Do Apologetics. His books have sold over 1 million copies, including foreign language editions. He hosts the daily Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio, which is broadcasted nationally on over 200 AM and FM stations and globally on the Relevant Radio app. Let's welcome Patrick Madrid. So, Patrick, um, this is something I may not know about you. What is a Hofner bass doing in your room? <laughs> oh, you know about basses, huh? Well, that's my uh, my avocation, playing bass guitar. And um, so that's one of my favorite basses, and I have it in my office here with me. Well, you know, I'm a huge Beatle fan. I'm a musician by trade. So I, I did that for all many, right. many years. And then when I formed the Started Array of Hope, it was all music-based, and now we got involved in video and all kinds of stuff. But mm-hmm. I used to play bass in a band and huge Paul McCartney fan. So you have to be a McCartney fan if you have a Hofner bass. I mean, it's just a way. Oh, yeah. That's why I have a Hofner bass for that reason. So great. You know, uh, starting the conversation like this, Patrick, it's it's fun. Uh, so, you know, tell me about your story. So you're, uh, are you a cradle Catholic or? Yes, I'm a cradle Catholic born in 1960 uh, in Los Angeles, born to a Catholic mom and dad, and they both came from Catholic families. So I was raised in the faith from the time I was little. Became a Catholic at, at the age of two weeks when I was baptized. Wow! And uh, I've been Catholic my whole life. Uh, I've I love the Catholic Church. I've never been tempted to leave the Catholic Church, and I consider it a great blessing that my parents raised us in the Catholic faith. Was there ever a time that you went in and out of your faith? Uh, you know. Uh, your intensity of of the Catholic Church was there a time where you kind of left momentarily, maybe during college or high school or anything like that? Not really. And and if I understand your question correctly, I never left in that sense. So I never stopped going to mass. Mm-hmm. I went to mass every Sunday. I prayed grace before meals. I so I I was always consistent in my Catholic faith. Thanks be to God. But like most young people, I went through a phase of to some extent, some lukewarmness and some, you know, meandering, but it, but it never took the form of leaving the church or mm-hmm. even checking out for a while. Mm-hmm. I was always consistently practicing my faith and going to confession quite a few times uh, wow. in my adolescent years and and later on. But uh, no, I never actually stepped away. Wow, that's a blessing! What a grace. Uh, was there? Um, so what? What uh, did you when you? Where did, where did you go to college? And did you study theology? You know, uh, going into college. I did, but that wasn't my original goal. So when I grew up, I I wanted. It's funny we we're talking about Paul McCartney. 
my goal in life was to be the next Paul McCartney. So <laughs> I wanted to make it big in rock and roll music. Really? Wow. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't have his voice um, and I don't play the piano, but I could play the bass pretty well. Awesome. So I, I had this idea that I could, that I could do that. And it really wasn't until I was in my mid twenties that it really became clear to me that that was not going to be the path that I was on. Um, so I was married and I already had a few children by the time God showed me what he wanted me to do with my life, which was, I, I was invited to go work with Carl Keating at Catholic Answers. Sure, sure. That would have been late. Yeah, late 87, I think it was. So I started working there early January of 90, of 88, rather. <clears throat> and that's really where my, my life in the, in the world that I've been in ever since then took, it really took hold there. So did you, um, did you study theology or how did, how did you, how were you formed? Yeah. So my first degree, my first bachelor's degree is in business management. And that's when I, you know, I knew I wanted to do something um, that might be entrepreneurial. Uh, and I had already started working at Catholic Answers, but I did go back to school and I got another bachelor's degree in philosophy. So it's a BPhil. And then I finished after that one, I did a master's degree in theology, actually dogmatic theology. Mm. And I did those two degrees at the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio. Great. So it was a really a great experience. I was sitting in the classroom three days a week with seminarians who were studying for the priesthood. And I was a layman married with kids, but it was really, um, it, it was very enjoyable. And so as far as formal training is concerned, the philosophy and the theology degrees I took there. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. Mm. So what drew you to uh, Catholic Answers? Was that sort of the your first taste of apologetics and defending the faith? Was that where that happened for you? In a way, yes, but in a way, no. So I was already interested in apologetics as a... Um, just a personal interest of mine. And I had learned to do some apologetics when I was in high school. I was dating a girl who was Protestant, lovely girl, and her parents were very nice to me, but they were also, her father in particular, was very anti-Catholic. And so during that summer of going to her house and spending time with her and her family, I had to talk with her father quite a bit. He made it a point to tell me that I was not saved. I was not born again because I was a Catholic so what started off in the beginning of the summer as him kind of badgering me and challenging me, I would go home over and over again and I would tell my my dad, well, here's the latest argument that her father has, has hit me with. So we were fortunate that my parents had a large library in our home and I loved to read. So my dad would ply me with books on apologetics that were in the family library and say, well, the answer to that question about Mary or about why do we call priest father or whatever? It's in this book or that book. Now, he didn't tell me where in the book the answer was located. So that was my job was to ferret out the details. But what happened was over the course of that summer, I, I was challenged very strongly by her father. And I began to discover the reasons for being Catholic. I began to discover the answers to those challenges that I never knew about. I mean, I knew what I believed, but I didn't really have a framework to defend it with. And so over the course of that summer, I really learned apologetics under pressure, mm. not realizing what a great gift this was that he was giving me. And so by the end of the summer, I had, I had realized, oh my gosh, all these so-called Bible arguments against the Catholic Church, they really don't hold water. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. So that was really the the starting point for my love of apologetics. And that was just a personal hobby. I, I liked to read a lot about it. So by the time I quit my secular job and was, I had this strong feeling that God was calling me to do something. I didn't know what it was. I had already struck up a friendship with Carl Keating. He was a lawyer and was doing apologetics kind of as a part-time mm -hmm. venture. And so I quit my job. I turned in my two weeks notice and I, I was thinking God will show me what he wants me to do. Well, Carl happened to call the next morning and I shared this with him and I said, please pray for me. And he says, it's funny you should ask because 
not only can I pray for you, but I'm starting a full-time Catholic organization, Catholic apologetics, and why don't you come work with me? And I turned him down Mm. because I thought, well, whatever God has in store for me, it can't be that. And my wife reminded me very, you know, very persuasively, well, don't forget we have a mortgage payment next (laughs) month and you've got to get a job. So I said, yes. I said, I'll come and help you for, you know, a couple of months until I figure out what God wants me to do. And then, of course, it wasn't too long before I realized this was what God was calling me to do. That's awesome. Um, You know, our topic today is defending the faith. And I know speaking to a lot of colleagues and a lot of friends of mine that are not really engaged in evangelization, uh, Mm -hmm. when pushed, most Catholics don't have the techniques or the ability to defend the Catholic faith or understand why why we believe what we believe. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, it's probably about five, six years ago, uh, I ingested a lot of your videos uh, that talked about that and talked about how to defend the faith. Uh, uh, in, in particular, I love your approach, the Socratic method, right? That uh, uh, and yeah. uh, uh, to the point where asking I, questions, yeah, yeah. And I, I I use it with my family, and they they kind of oh here he goes again, <laughs> the Socratic <laughs> method, and they hate it. It's like yo, Dad, yeah. stop asking questions. Yeah. So maybe you could share with our listeners and our view- viewers, um, you know what that method is like and why it's important for us Catholics to know our faith so we can defend it. Um, so we can, and that's a method of evangelization, right? It certainly can be. And I think it should be. It's a very easy technique to master. It dates back to the time of Socrates himself, the Hellenistic philosopher. And what, why, the reason why it's referred to this way is because he was known for teaching his pupils by interrogation. So he would ask the pupils questions. He would ask them to explain something. He didn't lecture them. He would ask them questions. And then as they would answer, the the flaw in their logic or the mistake in their thinking would become apparent. So this use of asking questions as a way to bring to the surface whatever the problem might be was very effective. And he became known, and, and this became known as the Socratic method of asking questions. The Socratic dialogues mm-hmm. are classic examples of two people or more than two people in some cases having a discussion in which the truth emerges as a result of these questions. So I've found that to be a very helpful tool in my own work and it's easy to learn. So anybody, so I do my daily radio program on relevant radio. It's a three hour daily call-in show. I don't have guests. I don't do interviews, but I talk to people all around the country and all around the world with their questions and their sometimes challenges. Mm. So not only is the Socratic method easy to use, but I find it easy to teach others who listen to my radio show and then they hear me maybe doing that with somebody who's challenging. So that that is a very helpful thing. And the reason it's especially helpful for Catholics is that we seem to have this knack for this preternatural ability to get put on the defensive very quickly when somebody says, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Where does it say pray to Mary in the Bible? Or where does it say X? In the Bible, and Catholics are notorious, if I can speak as a Catholic here, for allowing it to happen. So this way, when you know the Socratic method, like you do, no one's going to be able to put you on the defensive because you will know how to maintain your composure and how to direct the conversation. And if it's done well, the other person won't even know what you're doing. Mm. He'll he won't realize that you are putting the burden of proof on his shoulders if he's making a claim then rather than you backpedaling, trying to defend it, you simply say things like, well, what do you mean by that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Or what is your evidence for that? And that saves you from having to scramble, but at the same time, you can direct the question. So yes, I'm a big believer in the Socratic method. Um, so what are, what, are the, what are the three most common sort of... Uh, concerns or things that people question about the Catholic faith that you found, you know, in your experience and, and, and even on the radio show, what are the three most common sort of rebuttals uh, about the faith? It's funny because it's changed dramatically in the last 35 plus years since mm-hmm. I've been doing this work. So 35 years ago in the mid to late 1980s, the hot topics were biblical arguments against the Catholic faith. You know, why do you worship Mary? Well, we don't worship Mary. Right. Why do you believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist? 
Um, why do you call priests fathers? So they were they tended to be emanating from Protestant critics of the church, and many Catholics were really flat-footed, didn't know how to respond to it. So if you had asked me this question 35 years ago, I would have said, Mary, the Mass, um, salvation, things of that nature. Now, it's not that those aren't still important questions, but they're by no means the questions that people ask about much anymore. Now, the questions are, you know, well, if love is love and, you know, two men want to be married, what's wrong with that? Mm. Or why can't somebody decide if he wants to be male or female? What's wrong with that? How, why, who are you to say that, you know, two men can't get married or that someone can't become trans? Um, so I get nowadays lots and lots and lots of questions about things like that, about um, sexual ideology issues, much more so than I ever did 35 years ago. Um, they're all still important questions. But we've moved. Society has moved now into a different area of of concern. That it seems like so many more people now they don't really care about what the Bible says because they don't read the Bible. They don't really care what the church says because they don't go to church anywhere. They don't pray. Uh, many people have been sucked into this um, maelstrom of aggressive secularism. And to use a philosophical term, antinomianism, which is the the denial of of rules and, and this idea that you have to abide by certain rules of nature or morality or the Bible, what have you. Um, as you know very well, people nowadays they see more and more that they themselves make the rules. And so the questions that come up on the radio program now are far more commonly about those issues than they were before. And, and I'm glad you said that. I mean, so much is changing in particular for me. I, I feel like the last few years, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's changed at lightning speed. And um, yeah. really, how do, you, how do you keep up with um, just the, um, I guess it seems, it, it seems that there's a mass exodus from really the core beliefs of what Catholicism is, particularly amongst young people. Um, I mean, we do have a sector that are trads and they're really seem to be drawn to the traditions of the church, but there are many that are just totally disengaged uh, be because of the confusion or the lack of, of, of clarity. Um, how do you deal with that as a theologian? How do you draw people back to Christ and recognizing that, you know, he's the founder of our church, he is pure love, and that's what we all seek. Um, how do you deal yeah. with that? Yeah, I first let me say God bless the trads. Um I'm 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 traditional in the sense that I love the church's ancient traditions. Uh, my wife and I attend a parish in our diocese where the the new order of the mass is celebrated. It's celebrated beautifully, but I enjoy going to the traditional Latin mass and so I personally don't see the trads at all as a problem. Yeah. If anything, I see them as in a, in a certain way kind of a blessing for the church. And I'm grateful for the 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 desire that they have to know the beautiful patrimony of the church. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure you didn't intend otherwise, but I just want to. No, no, absolutely. I'm, a, I'm because, in agreement with you, 100. percent Yeah, yeah. I figured you were. Um, <laughs> so, as far as the mass exodus goes, it's definitely happening. And and even just like the Pew Research Organization does statistical research on people who identify as Christian and the the dramatic decline in the United States in say the last 40 50 years is eye opening to see how many people now don't identify as Christian or they don't identify as anything so this is where that none category comes in n o n e mm -hmm. uh, when somebody's asked to check a box you know do you identify as Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or what they check the nun box because even though they may have been baptized and raised in in a Christian faith they've they've lost that faith so this is a very challenging time and all the more so I think you put it this way suddenly things have happened suddenly and that's very true and I don't think that the average mom and dad and and the average parish and the average diocese was prepared for how suddenly this change has taken place mm. and it's accelerating. So to, to answer your question, I would, I would put it this way. 
I, I feel as though I have my ear to the ground because every day for three hours, I'm talking to the country on these issues that really consume them. And for parents, they are deeply anxious and very concerned about the faith or the loss of faith of their children and now their grandchildren, where kids who are raised in the church, altar boys, maybe Catholic school, received all their sacraments, retreats, all the good stuff. And now they don't go to mass anymore and they just no longer believe. And so this is an audience under pressure. Probably many people listening to us talk right now are saying, yep, yep, that's exactly where I am. And what do I do about it? So a few things that come to my mind, and that is that we live in a time now, and it's it's no exaggeration to say, we live in a unique situation, unlike any other generation in human history, which is that we are beset by the internet. Now, the internet can be a great blessing. Look at what we're doing using the internet. So it's, it is a great blessing. But like anything else, fire is a great blessing if you're trying to keep warm when it's cold out, but fire can kill you and burn your house down if it's allowed to get out of control. So for better or for worse, we live now in the era of the internet where everybody is bombarded by information constantly, bombarded by uh, messages, isms, worldviews, claims, attacks, challenges, you name it. So it's not as though people who were raised in a Catholic home are going to be impervious to this. They're not. No, Nobody is impervious to this. And even in this, the quote-unquote best of families, um, however you define that, homeschool families, even daily mass, rosary praying families, even in quote-unquote the best of families, people are seeing this devastation that is wrought by the internet and the apps, TikTok and, and various other apps. So my point here is that we have to either um, head for the hills, which I don't advocate, <laughs> or we have to make use of this technology and find people where they're at. And where they're at is they're looking at their phones. Right. Everybody is looking at their phones. So a huge reset, I think, is that we have to take these new tools, whether it be TikTok, which I think is a very dangerous thing, but YouTube, whatever the platforms are, and, and make those the delivery system to bring the truth of Jesus directly to the phones and to the minds of the people who are looking at it, because otherwise they're not going to see it and they won't have a chance to really hear it. So that's a big part, I think, of the bigger answer to your question. You know, what do we do about this? We have to be proactive and make use of the tools that we've got. Yeah. Essentially, that's the mission of Array of Hope. We're a multimedia organization and we evangelize to the culture through the internet, through music, through events, through our channel, through this podcast, which is all digital, right? right? Um, Beautiful. Yeah. So that's uh, that's awesome. I, I think, um, what, what kind of hope would you give... Um, I know that you've um, you have resources, and you talked about uh, in some of your books where you kind of teach the laity how we can formulate our apologetic technique per se. Right? I remember. I think I mean I even have one of your books early on. It's probably seven or eight years old, where it actually discusses all the various sort of uh, uh, bumps in the road that people always have, so you can kind of you know build up your yeah. formation. Maybe you could share that some of those books that that you you wrote that to help us uh, define those areas and, Thank and you. articulate that. It might, the one you're thinking of might be a book called Search and Rescue. That's it. That's and, it. That's it. That's old. Okay. You've had, you've, you wrote that a while ago. I did. That book came out, I don't know, probably around the year 2000. Okay. So yeah, I remember reading that out for years a while. and years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that book, the reason I wrote that book is because there's a lot of good apologetics material. Catholic Answers produces so much of it. Right. Uh, I had a hand in that for eight years when I was at Catholic Answers. But the one thing I didn't really see was a book that would, would train people in the techniques to, to make use of that information. It was one thing to have all the Bible verses or all the you know information. That's good and it's necessary. But if you're not really sure how to present it, or what do you do when somebody says, I don't want to talk about God? Or, or how, do you, how do you get around some of those hurdles? I thought, well, that, there's a book that needs to be written. And so I wrote Search and Rescue with an eye toward sharing the things that I had learned 
through uh, trial and error and mm-hmm. also to share some of the mistakes that I made along the way so people wouldn't make the same mistakes. And so that's where that book came from. Now, there's actually not not so much a sequel to that book, but an extended discussion in another book I wrote after that is called On a Mission, Lessons mm-hmm. from St. Francis de Sales. Mm-hmm. And that was a book where I, I became even more specific about things like atheism. I didn't really talk too much about atheism in Search and Rescue because it wasn't as big of a thing then. But when I wrote uh, On a Mission, it was much more happening and people were thinking about it. So that has a lot more in the way of more more contemporary kind of challenges and showing people how to work through those in a way that doesn't put them on the defensive. Awesome. Is there anything that you're working on now that you want to share with our audience or a book that you just wrote or anything that's on deck? Oh, thank you. Yes, I wrote a book called uh, Inquisition, and it's a quiz book, a Catholic quiz book. So the title Inquisition is tongue-in-cheek, but uh, that was published by Relevant Radio. I think 100,000 copies uh, were released. And so, yeah, so that book is um, going to be available soon on my website. It's basically a Catholic quiz, and you'll learn everything about Catholic history and scripture and saints and liturgical things. It's a lot of fun, but at the same time, it's practical. So that's the most recent project that I've done. I have a couple of books in the works right now, um, and I'm probably not quite at the point where I can say what they are, but maybe when the books come out, I'll send you a copy and we can talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is it What is it like having a radio show where, you know, um, you're directly impacting the viewer in such a way that you're, you're answering their questions? And I know I, I've listened to you quite a bit, um, you even get non-Catholics, quite a bit of non-Catholics that come onto your, your show and ask really interesting questions. So, um, you know, you're really, you're transforming someone's opinion, uh, and really directing them toward God. That must be very rewarding, very exciting and, uh, fulfilling. You want to share what that's like and how? It is. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. And of course, I, I just have to pinch myself daily that. I can't really believe that of all the talented people out there, more talented than I, with more knowledge than I have, that for some reason God permits me to be able to do this. So I I don't take it um, for granted. I'm very grateful. And I actually, as part of my show prep every day, um, I pray the rosary before I begin the show for my listeners, Mm. asking Jesus and Mary to help prepare them and me too, because I need to be prepared to speak on any topic that might come up. Mm -hmm. But yes, it is very rewarding. It is very satisfying. And I realize that this is God working through these humble instruments and to be able to speak. So relevant radio, we have over 200 stations around the country. Now we're growing more stations are being added all the time. And then you have the relevant radio app, which people listen to all around the world. So the reach is really amazing. And when I'm in the studio, I'm like you. I mean, I'm in a room by myself. I've got my producer in a different room and call screeners are in, but I'm by myself in a room looking at my monitor where the calls are coming in. And it's just, I really feel it. It's me and you, it's me and the caller. And so I don't do interviews. I don't have guests. And really, my my callers are my guests and mm. whatever they want to talk about. And as you say, sometimes they're a bit ang- angry at the Catholic Church right. or they they want to challenge. But I think that makes for great radio. It does. So I enjoy those calls. I really do. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, for our viewers and listeners here, you know, uh, although what we do, uh, and I always share this with our team, that, you know, we're really blessed and honored to be uh, an instrument of God's voice to the culture and never take that yes. for granted and always look upon it as like, wow, he chose us. I don't know why, but we're here doing yeah. this and we're going to do the best thing that we can. But our, you know, everyone has that ability to evangelize and transform someone's heart by just sharing the faith in a loving way and also being sharp and, and knowing the faith, which is what this sort of segment is about, defending the faith. So I want to encourage our viewers and listeners to do do some research, do some read up on certain topics so you can, when you're when you're asked those questions that people are really listening, you you know, you can make a difference in, in someone's heart and really in someone's soul. So, so true. So um 
Patrick, th- you know, thank you so much for for hanging with us. I think next time we meet, I'll play keyboard, you play bass. I'll get some other people together. Sounds Let's good. Get Scott Hahn to play guitar, <laughs> do a little bit of Sounds a jam. Uh, I'm actually. Are you are you in uh, Chicago, or is you do you work? Yeah. So our yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, our our relevant radio headquarters are in Chicago, kind of a northern suburb called yeah. Lincolnshire. Yeah. If you know that area, yeah. Um, so all of our headquarters are there and, uh, all of our team, all the, all the producers, everybody is yeah. there. I live in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. And the reason, um, that it works so well for me is because of my 11 children, all but two of them live here in Columbus and of our 28 grandchildren, all but about 10 of them live here in Columbus. Okay. So wow. we're so deeply rooted here that it wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be easy to go to Chicago. So. Uh, the reason why I'm asking is actually John Morales, I'm going to be in Chicago and they're interviewing me Friday. So I was thinking maybe we could have met up, but that's not going to be possible. But uh, Well, this week, yeah, it would, wouldn't be possible this week, but you never know. Next time you're up there, I might be in yeah. the studio there. I do go there frequently. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, and for those who are wondering, the show's on Monday through Friday from 9 to noon Eastern. Yeah, and, and it's awesome. It's I've learned so much listening you. to you and just... Uh, just uh, in, you know, engaging to the conversations, you really feel like you're a, a you know fly in the room, or what is it, the, an ant on a wall? What's the fly in the wall? <laughs> <laughs> I always get that stuff mixed up. I don't know, but you you get what I'm saying. So, uh, you know, God bless you, Patrick. God bless your family. Wow, eleven kids. Uh, our director of theology, David Heideck, has eleven kids as well. I'm always saying, make it complete, make it twelve, make it like the apostles. Come on, keep going. He's like, are you nuts? But uh, it's God, God, uh, God bless well, you. Well, God and his providence gave us a number 12, but that baby died in miscarriage. Okay. So, you know, we 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 always remember that child. Mm. But in terms of children who are with us, we have 11, six sons and five daughters. Wow. And um, they're all having children of their own. So I, Amen. I'm, I'm, Nancy and I feel very blessed, as I'm sure you do with your yes. family, that yes. God has been so generous with us. Yes. Well, thank you, Patrick. God bless you and hope we uh, engage thank soon. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to it. So glad that you joined us for this episode. It's great having you with us. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with others. Let everybody know we need to have as many people as possible to know God better. Also, please comment in the comment sections. Please give us an endorsement. This also really helps. We also ask you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page to help us in our work. Just go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Join us on social media where this keeps us connected to our faith through our music, our videos, our daily reflections, lots of great stuff to share with you all the time. We also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m. So please join us so we can all pray together. Our guest next time will be Monsignor Michael Mannion. This is going to be a great episode where we talk about his relationship with Mother Teresa, the great St. Teresa of Calcutta. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.